<laughs> What's going on, Nick? How's it going, Gabe? It's good. DF Dubs. Welcome to DF Dubs. Podcast so where we're down for whatever and we talk about whatever we want. Okay. Or however long we want. Podcast number three. Okay. Honestly, I don't really know. Okay. I feel like average time between episodes is eight months to a year. <laughs> right. uh, Never really got off the ground. Yeah. I, you know, we're not really looking to fly. Yeah. We're kind of more like a... The slug just kind of <laughs> crawls in the dirt, slugging along, gathering mud, dust, and yeah. nutrients. Taxiing on the runway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Sweet. so why why DF Dubs? Well, the the idea just kind of came to me one day for the acronym. What's, what's the stand for? for the, it stands for down for, for whatever. Right for no one for our audience <laughs> of zero. Um, actually, there's Jess is sitting in the the corner over there he's got airpods in looking at her phone came in here and was talking about her but uh so our audience our captive audience who's not even listening will be uh the listener for this episode about which we have no idea what it's going to be you know the topic is completely unknown to us even at this very moment uh which is kind of what the whole idea of df dubs is about you know you try not to plan it just kind of let the course of events unfold as they will um some fun facts, though. Uh, I am currently just dressed as a Jedi because uh, Gabe and Jess uh, almost like forced me to put it on, I'd say. Well, so there's more to the story, right? So you, you were the one who purchased. I bought this. Who bought it? I bought this Okay. with my uh, with my own money, which I'm, I'm ashamed to say. Who <laughs> spent uh, one month's salary on... <laughs> Lightsabers. On lightsabers. Um, that was also me. Okay. Um, you know, I don't really have a justification for it, <laughs> to be honest. I and mean, if I tried, it would it would be silly. Um, but yeah. So I'm wearing a Jedi costume. It's not really Obi Wan Kenobi. I don't really know. It's just a general Jedi costume. But just to add to the ridiculousness of what we're doing here, and to add some flair, some spice for our condo. We got the Jedi costume. We've got a can of corned beef hash. Yeah, I didn't realize that was sitting there. Fresh from Aldi. Pointed that out. <laughs> we had about five cans this morning for brunch. Uh, it was delicious. It actually was really good. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff, man. You guys are frying it up on the stove. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. When you guys had that, like, it was disgusting to just look at. Well, it looks like dog food. It really it looks like dog food. It looked food. worse than that. And I didn't realize that the potatoes were potato bits. Um, it looked like pieces of fat, and so I was like, is that just raw <laughs> fat in the can with the, quote, air quotes, meat, you know? Yeah. Um, but then I tried it, and it was actually pretty good. Yeah. But man, did it sit heavy in the old tummy. You'll feel, yeah, you'll feel it, you'll feel it in a couple hours. Yeah, um, the grease is real. But it was good. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. No, I'm telling you, can of corned beef hash, fry a couple eggs. Um, I, I prefer to eat a half dozen. And uh, just mash them all up. That's, that's a good breakfast. It went well with the eggs. Yeah. I will say that. I was thinking to myself, you know, this might be an interesting, like, sizzly. You know? Yeah. The Wawa sizzlies. Yeah. Corned beef, hash, egg, and cheese. Like a burrito breakfast. Or a burrito. burrito. It probably yeah. would fit better in a burrito. It would be falling off, off, yeah. falling off the bagel, but whatever. You know, it would just be good as a breakfast sandwich. I feel like it's a cl- that is a classic breakfast sandwich is potatoes, eggs, and meat. Bacon bits or right. sausage. Some form of it. Yeah. I used to be a big bacon, egg, and cheese guy. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't a huge sausage fan. 
But then as the years went on, I kind of was realizing that they charge the same, if not more, for a bacon, egg, and cheese, and you get like 15% of the meat yeah. that you would on a sausage, egg, and cheese, yep. you know, which is kind of ridiculous. But people, they love bacon. Bacon and OJ, man, are the two most overpriced things you can get at a restaurant. Yeah. More overpriced than, than, a, than a filet mignon. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You get two, two or three strips of bacon for like $5. That's craziness. That's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Is, is the production price of bacon actually high, or are they just stealing people? Like, are they just oh, yeah. robbing people? It's you know? one part of the cow. So there's not, I think there's not a lot of yield. There's not a lot of bacon yield per cow. Well, it comes from the pig, right? Oh, it's pig. Is it yeah. pig? Yeah. It's, I think it's pork. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. So um, it comes from the pig. It's not even like a prized animal. Okay. Like it's it's just... Yeah, but I, I have no idea. So it's, it's very... There's a high demand for bacon. And I wonder relative to other cuts of meat, there's a low supply. It would be like... I, I'm just guessing. Like a yeah. like cheek. Cheek meat is very desirable. Um but there's so little cheek meat on an animal. There's like a couple ounces of cheek meat. Uh, so cheek I meat is desirable? I've heard it's one of the most delicious meat on, on most animals is, is in the cheeks. This is the first I've ever even it's heard of It's the this. right amount of fat and flavor and all sorts of nu- nutrients. You mind if I just take a quick bite of your cheek real quick? And <laughs> <test out this? laughs> right. I, uh, I saw that on Anthony Bourdain uh, probably 10 years ago. Really? Yeah. Do you really think that's the truth, or is that, do you think it's one of those like niche things he said to try to like yeah. get more attention for that particular? I feel episode. like everything on Anthony Bourdain was like the most something. Yeah, this is the most unique. This is the most right. Niche. This is it's the like most well, rare. one. You yeah. have that many most claims. Right, it makes right. you wonder like. <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, Donald Trump. Everything's either the most. Right. everything is superlative. Or it is it's tremendous. Billions. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Billions and billions. Wonderful. Tremendous. Spectacular. Yeah. The best. The most amazing. Incredible. It's like, man, you gotta you gotta love how charismatic that is. I so mean, you, sure, it's charismatic. Always hyping but, stuff up and always pointing out how how excellent the setup is and how excellent the employees. Like it's so attractive. It makes it look attractive. Yes. But then you kind of wonder, like. Is it true? It's dishonest. It's disingenuous. I yeah. think it could be. Like you should only say that if it is in fact the case that it is tremendous, excellent, superlative. You know. Yeah. But if it's not, then you kind of like become the boy who cried wolf, where it's like, well, you know, you said it was tremendous last time, and it didn't end up being tremendous. How do I know you're telling me the truth this time when you're saying it's tremendous? Yeah, I thought about it. What, yeah, why do I? Because I definitely have the tendency of wanting to make things into superlative to superlative eyes yeah things you know by saying this is the the best sandwich i've ever had or this is this is the you know the worst day on the stock market in six months no matter the fact that it's had five days like this this year yeah um but always trying to make things into the superlative Mm. to make them more attention catching Mm -hmm. um but it feels like stretching it feels like kind of silly a lot of times Mm. um yeah. I mean, that's honest. I feel like it's a cultural thing. Yeah. Like, why can't something just be good? This is tasty. This right. Is delicious. Do you think that's how they spoke in the ancient cultures? Like, or do you think they had the same issue that we have with the overuse of superlatives? Like, those guys who would yell on the street corner, like, you know, 
this is the best so-and-so, you know, like, this is the most phenomenal thing you've ever had. A slice of pizza. Yeah, do you think they did that? Or do you think it was just, like, come get a good slice of pizza, <laughs> you know? I, I think that they, yeah, I think they probably were doing that on uh, the Roman marketplace right. 2,000 years ago. I think, yeah, I mean, the kind of characters you see, like, they had to be doing that. Yeah. yeah but was that, was that something that was unique to those street yellers? Or do you think that was also commonplace it, in, like, your typical daily conversation? Yeah, is it a common feature of human nature that we excessively make things superlative? We, like, superlatize things. Yes, yeah. yeah. for rhetorical effects. Exactly. Um, yeah, but, I, you know, it's, I, Jordan Peterson talks all the time about this, is just be very careful about your speech and be careful to only say things which are true. Hmm. Um and if you get in the habit of exaggerating, bending, or stretching your, your speech yeah. or rhetorical effect for any effect, um, you start to believe those things. Yeah. And so you got to, like, I, I wonder, does Donald Trump actually think that, like, this is the worst or this is the best of, like, whatever he's talking about? Um, right. Because he just does it so much. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, so I've heard this about lie detectors, where if you actually believe what you're saying mm-hmm. or you somehow trick yourself into believing mm-hmm. what you're saying the lie detector won't pick it up yeah like even if what you're saying is a lie it's false because all of the anatomical physiological indicators that would be triggered when you're lying are not happening because you've tricked yourself into believing it so your heart rate doesn't increase your breath doesn't change your your uh all those, all those like neurochemical sweat. things yeah, that would trigger sweat. those physiological reactions, the manifestations in your body, they're not taking place, or at least not nearly as intensely, okay. because you believe the lie yourself. You know, like I have two kids and I'm 300 pounds, and I believe that. Right. It's like, well, if I've tricked my brain into believing that, well, that it's not going to trigger the same. My heart's not going to race, that kind of thing. But if I'm like, uh insecure about it i'm self-conscious about that particular lie where i say well you know yeah i have two kids and uh about 305 and it's like well no i don't i don't have neither of those things are true my body knows that it's relaying that to the lie detector test that i feel like could be a very relevant factor in public speaking where if i don't believe what i'm saying to the crowd people pick it up people pick up on it they're like they're like lie detectors Mm -hmm. You know, a, a passive audience has so much license in their ability to react the way that they want to because they're not on stage, you know, and they can devote so much more of their energy and attention into just psychoanalyzing the crap out of the person right. who's speaking. Uh, and so the person who's speaking is not paying as much attention to that because they're trying to essentially put on a show, you know. I've heard it, called, I've heard it referred to as the Mother Teresa effect, public speaking. So when your your character is such, you have so much authenticity. There's no, there's not one shred of inauthenticity in your in your person, in your character. Hmm. Uh, that people are absolutely captured by your speech. And from a rhetorical standpoint, she was she was abysmal. She was terrible. She was she was short. She wasn't even five feet tall. Uh, she muffled as she spoke. She looked down. Uh, she had very bad presence. Hmm. But you can watch the videos of her speaking before Congress, and everybody is just a hundred percent captured, more so than if Bill Clinton was speaking. And um, why is that? 
the Mother Teresa effect. I think it's 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 character. It's, it's authenticity. It's when your character is. It's almost like. It's like a, an asterisk rule that would be at the at the back of a public speaking book, where they give you all the rules about about hand gestures and open body language and change of tone, tonality, and cadence, mm-hmm. use of examples, and there's all all, all the tr- rhetorical tactics which one can deploy. And all the way at the bottom, back of the book, maybe there's this Mother Teresa clause where mm-hmm. all that's good, but it goes out the window if your character is so high and so good. If it's Martin Luther King speaking, or if he was a great rhetorician, or if it's um, uh, John Paul II, or just think of any great, morally great figure throughout history. Mm. Uh, character is so good that people will be dialed in no matter how poor your rhetoric is otherwise. I think that's all right. You think people can just almost intuitively be aware of that and sense that a person's character is maybe not so great? With a yeah, well, with a person like Mother Teresa, you got to think it's her reputation mm-hmm. preceded her. Um, I mean, it's, I imagine she it would it would exude from her her holiness or her moral standing, but I also think that yeah, her just her, her reputation. Uh, that went before her, that people knew who she was, knew what she had created in India, in the East. It makes sense that it would be reputation. Like I, I'm kind of skeptical of the idea that people can almost just intuit someone's character because yeah. you have people like like Adolf Hitler, who yeah. just lasered Rabble in. Rouser. I mean, he's super incredible public speaker, clearly was able to influence a massive amount of people mm-hmm. with his charisma, uh, you know, as as ill <laughs> ill intentioned as it was, you know, yeah, um, and just off the mark, like it, people were lasered in. So, but his character was certainly not there. So it, it kind of makes you wonder, like, what is the combination of factors that makes someone so captivating? Right. Well, I think it's multifarious. It's a bunch of reasons. But I, what do you think about? Are, like human desire for a strong man, and specifically like male, just a strong, dominant, powerful, competent male leader. Hmm. Um, I don't, is that my is it my sexism showing? Is that you know? But I, I don't. I feel like that's pretty universal. If people are being honest with themselves, I think there's like a, a desire in most people to have a really powerful male leader, man. Yeah, uh, who's, who's leading them, who they can look towards. I think there is definitely a biological drive there mm-hmm. where you can even see that with like height. Yeah. You know, you have three guys lined up. The, the, you know, the, the shortest guy says something, the, the next guy says something and the biggest guy says something, you know, even the depth of their voice mm-hmm. or the broad, the, the breadth of their shoulders. Like people I think are going to naturally gravitate towards the biggest guy um, and have, the most buy-in for what he's saying, because even if he doesn't say anything different from what the other two guys said, it almost is conveyed with more authority yeah. because of his stature. There's some, there's something to the physical presence that he has. Yeah, I, I think it's. So we we talked earlier before the podcast about various proxies that that our brains are just sort of and our nervous systems are just wired to pick up on, or they're they're naturally attuned to. Um, so, and you, you, specifically like sexual attraction. So, 
men are sexually attracted to women in general uh, with small waists uh, and wide hips. Wide hips is a proxy for fertility. Uh, small waists, especially, it's a, small waist is a, is a proxy for physical health. Um, mm -hmm. If you're not overweight, if you're not obese, decent chance you have good health. And especially 200 years ago before processed food, cigarettes, and alcohol, um, even better chance that you're in good health if you have a small waist. Mm. For men, similar small waist for good health, and then uh, broad shoulders for strength. And I think, but even even a better proxy for, for strength, I think, is just size, height. It's so visible, so easy to pick up. You can see somebody for, in, a, in a giant crowd, you can see, pick up the tallest person. And it's weird, like, I, it's not physical strength, physical aptitude might not be as important today. But it wasn't that long ago that we were an agrarian society. It wasn't that long ago that we were a manufacturing society where physical strength really mattered. Um, so I think that's why. I think that I think that's at least a part of it is we've always looked at height uh, as a proxy for physical strength, and physical strength was really important 200 years ago, 50 years ago, 500 years ago. Yeah, there's something to that. It's very instinctual yeah to just kind of submit in some way to that i think yeah and even if people don't necessarily want to admit that there is something in inside of us that recognizes as a natural leadership or a natural sense of um, dominance really mm -hmm. in people who have an ability to i think physically overpower someone else but then, of course, you see exceptions to the rule where you're, you know, the tough and tender guys who are massive, but they're really just teddy bears on the inside, yeah. you know. And I, I feel like that kind of gets into the idea of meekness, where it's like, we've talked about this before. What does it really mean to be uh, a man who is uh, meek? You know, it's not to be weak, but rather to to have the sword, to possess the, the power and the strength to overpower someone. But... To keep that sword in the sheath and it's scabbard, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it's not being weak. It's, it's no credit to you if you're uh, tiny and and you know weak and you have no ability to inflict the powerful pain on someone else. You know, it's it's credit to you if you have the ability. You choose not to out of nobility. You know, I, I think of it like if a five-pound house cat jumped up on your lap and let you pet him, uh, you wouldn't think anything of it. But if a 600-pound mountain lion did that and, and was very gentle uh, and sort of hopped on your lap gently and was very, uh, yes, yeah, submissive and let you pet him. Uh, we would be very impressed by that because, yeah. because that's meekness. That's and having strength but not using it. Right. I mean, yeah. there would also be pee in my pants. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I've heard, I've heard the example of uh, the, the you know, 250-pound linebacker who's – made a muscle and has a 4% body fat, plays yeah. in the NFL, 6'5", uh, holds open doors for, for people. Right. Uh, like just how incredibly impressive that is, how attractive that is. It's, it's nice. Like it's one of those things where I feel like you're kind of criticized if you don't, but praised if you do. It's like, you know, for there's a number of scenarios that applies to, but like if a guy is real, you know, he's got it going. He's got things going for him. He's got the sword, and he kind of uses it for his own selfish benefit. People are like, oh, that guy's kind of egotistical. He's self-centered. 
but if he chooses to, you know, put it in its scabbard and be of service to others, humble, meek, kind, then people kind of praise him for being humble and and uh, other centered, you know, other directed. I feel like it's kind of a an either or situation, you know. Yeah. Uh, just spinning off that, I think, I think of you know the greatest example of meekness is Christ. Yeah. Uh, literally God. Uh, he's omniscient, omnipotent, eternal, and he's on the cross, and uh, people are shouting. He's so if you're if you're so powerful, then why don't you save yourself? Mm. And he didn't. Uh, he had a the most powerful sword, but kept it in the scabbard. Yeah. As an example of meekness for us, I suppose. Yeah. I I love meditating on that when he's. Being crowned with thorns. Yeah. And the soldiers are just mocking him. Yeah. And they strip him of his clothes and they put him in a, you know, military cloak and they, they start making fun of him, king of the worms. And it's like, and he could have snapped and they would have just vanished. Or he could have done anything. He could, they could have made him explode. You know, like it could have been the most decisive victory and he could have humiliated them in the most grandiose way possible, but he remained silent right. and he just ate it. He opened not his mouth. Yeah. He just took it. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's just unbelievable. I, I wonder what those guys were thinking when they saw Christ after they died. Right. I just want to see the looks on their faces. Like, when they realized who they were mocking. Yeah. You know. I once saw a great reflection from a priest. Shout out to Monsignor McGee, who's a professor at the seminary in St. Charles, Philadelphia. Where I went. Um, Monsignor McGee is one of the most brilliant men I've ever met in my whole life. Uh, he has his <laughs> STD is, is not a venereal disease. <laughs> doctor in sacred theology and the letters are backwards because it's in Latin. <laughs> on that note, uh, so Gabe's microphone actually died. His AirPod died, and we had to stop recording. So we'll take a little halftime break, uh, and this will be like the end of this episode. But the next episode will be part two of our conversation um, where Gabe will pick up where he left off with Monsignor McGee, and we'll continue talking about uh, you know all those good things. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Oh, thank you.